everybody. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. I love hearing that intro music because it means we're about to have some fun. Uh, I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home game. And I would like to just start by thanking our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and Website Amp, because they keep Rec Poker going. Um, along with our premium members, folks like Vaughn Utes, uh, who I haven't actually gotten a chance to meet in person yet with Vaughn. Uh, but we've exchanged emails. Uh, Vaughn, I hope you get a chance to get more involved with some of our learning material here. Um, and folks like Philip Eccles, who I was chatting with recently. Um, and, you know, uh, Vaughn and Phil and everyone else out there who's a premium member who's considering joining, it's just a wonderful support that you show us by pledging those $15 a month that helps us keep everything going here. And uh, even if you don't participate in some of the strategy conversations, we know it's your way of helping us keep the lights on and saying thanks for putting all this great poker stuff out there. So I really do appreciate it. Um, and you can like, we all love to hear it. So send me an email anytime, jim at rec.poker, and let me know how, how to get more involved or how to access more of these uh, training materials that we put out here uh, week in and week out. So uh, I am the host, but I am joined by a panel of uh, poker-loving wizards. And if you want to find out about them, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. Um, to, today, we've got Rob and John in the booth today. Rob, you know from the Wrecking Crew. And John, you might have heard earlier as a premium member. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell the panel, the group, where they can find you? Well, you can find me at Rabman50 just about everywhere. That's right. Look out. And uh, you know Rob from the book studies. He's an active participant in a lot of our strategy conversations and one of the founding members of the podcast panel itself. And uh, John Kroll, who's joined us here on the show, has been posting in the forums a lot more over the last little while. And uh, it's a pleasure to be working with uh, active premium members like yourself, John. So thank you for coming back on the show for us. Thank you. So you put a post out here today, um, or not today, but recently about intricacies within poker strategy. And I, I wanted to talk about it on the show because I think this is a, a common experience for people as they learn more about poker. Um, and you said, you know, every time you peel back a layer of the onion, uh, you find a new, more intricate layer underneath. And uh, you've got, and I do encourage all our listeners to head on over to rec.poker and check out the free forums there. There's a lot of great details in here that I won't be able to really give uh, uh, the full benefit to over the audio that we're doing, but, um, there's some great details in here and some great responses as well. So people go check it out. So John, you talked about a couple, um, layers of the onion that you've peeled back. And we, we talked about one on the air a month or two ago about playing range versus range or playing your hand versus someone's range and how that helped. And then you also talk about, uh, board textures and how that uh, knowledge kind of helped you think about poker at a higher level. And of course, one of the frustrating things about a great game like this is that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, the more you learn to, that you still have to learn and, 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 to, uh, and to keep studying. And so I love this point <laughs> that you say, um, you know, it, it even let, makes you understand how much more you have to learn about this kind of stuff. But you've got a great learner's mindset, and I can tell just from the questions that uh, you've been bringing to the table um, how you're improving as a player. So this is a this is a common situation that you've mentioned here. This uh, uh, we get to this point where you're playing with a lot of regular players. We've all been enjoying this collaborative learning experience, and now sort of you know what they know, and they know what you know. And does that kind of meta game change? 
how we make assumptions about each other or how we level each other or that sort of thing. Is that, is that about right? Yeah. I, I, I finally got to the point where um, I'm now thinking about range versus range and thinking about how my range hits the board texture and how their range hits the board texture. And, and, and suddenly I realized that they're thinking about the same thing back at me. Um, <laughs> so anything that I think I've now gained an advantage on, or I thought that when I got to this level, I'd be, you know, at the next level and have an advantage. I'm really realizing that I'm finally catching up to them and perhaps taking away some of their advantage that they've had on me. Mm-hmm. But perhaps I haven't really gained an advantage that I thought I was going to gain. Well, and and then the, the layer on layer comes comes to what do I not know that I don't know yet? Um, <laughs> how many more layers deep is this going to go? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so the, I love this approach. I love the way we're talking about this. Um, ultimately it is, it, poker is a game where we can level ourselves. And we talk about this all the time, projecting on other people or, you know, making bad assumptions about people's uh, play or the reasons why they're doing things. And um, I think this is one of the great things about poker is deciding on a hand by hand basis, you know, what are the assumptions that my opponents are making? Uh, What level are they on when they're thinking about poker? And then can I just be one level higher than that? Because if you're multiple layers higher than that, then you're not really trapping them you're kind of just trapping yourself a little bit. You're out leveling yourself. You're, you're, yeah. you're out clevering yourself. Um, so a big part about poker is just kind of making those assumptions about people. What are they thinking? What are the uh, decisions that they're going to be making and why? And the more we get to know people, the better we can make those assumptions about their default play. But you end up into these meta situations where he knows that I know, and I know that she knows this, and so um, does it feel? Does it feel like you're sort of weaponless a bit in that in that sense? Because it's like they kind of know what you're trying to do. Is that a fee? Is that part of it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I I used to think that. Uh, my, my bet sizing was giving me some type of an advantage if, if, if I could pick the right bet size. And of course I wasn't necessarily picking the right bet size. Um, and that was probably giving some information to them. Right. Um, because I now understand that at a particular board texture from a particular range, you want to be betting, uh, at a certain frequency to a certain size. And they might have known that, and I didn't. And so they could pick up information about me by me betting wrong. Mm-hmm. But now I'm in a position where, though I can't always pull that off in my game, I know, you know, I'm memorizing the the, the charts and the statistics or whatever. Um but now I know that in theory, they're also doing that. And I'm not getting the information from them that I thought I was getting in terms of reading their range. Now, again, I may have been reading their range wrong, 
or incorrectly because I wasn't aware that they were supposed to be betting certain frequencies and certain sizes on cer certain board textures. So I feel now that I'm, I'm catching up, um, but feel that when I, advantages that I thought I had, I maybe don't have anymore. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and I know Rob's going to have something to jump in on here, but I'll, I'll just get started first. Um, so to me, it, it really comes down to, we, we think about like choosing the tools or the weapons for the fight that we're about to have. Um, so like when we're sizing up our opponent, uh, we're going to be thinking about, you know, what are the mistakes that this player is going to make that we can exploit? Um, or, you know, like what level are they on? Uh, how can we win the most and, and lose the least uh, against this kind of a player, that kind of thing. Um, and this leveling thing is really common and we all do it. So, and part of it is, I think, you know, you're, you're improving as a player. And so you're feeling like you're getting all this knowledge that should be applicable at the poker tables. Um, but if everyone else also has that knowledge, it feels like it's not as applicable as it, as it felt like it would have been. Um, right. right. So, so I guess the, the first, the, the simple, the simple thing we talked earlier about um, sort of playing your range or not playing your hand or, you know, trying to sort of standardize things or balance things uh, so that, so that uh, you're, you're giving away less information. And that, that's the kind of thing that against players that are paying attention to that sort of thing, that's exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, and then against the players that aren't on that level, you know, you can come down a level two and, and play a more simple exploitative strategy and just hitting them, hitting them hard with the big hands and not mm -hmm. worrying about, about balance that much. Right. So then, yeah, I'd love to know. And Rob, if you have any thoughts on this as well, because I'm in this, I'm in this place a lot where I'm playing, let's take Kim Kilroy, for instance, who's a very savvy player, um, has a ton of poker knowledge. She's uh, very experienced. She knows exactly what she's doing. Um, she and I play in the same satellite league for a WSOP seat. And so every once in a while we end up in a pot and there's a real sense of when I'm in a position to see bet, I'm like, <laughs> she knows that this is a high percentage CVET spot. So she's going to be check raising at a high percentage here. Um, and there's a sort of sense of like, we're going to do this dance. And at the end of it, we're still not even going to really know anything about each other's hands because this is just like the, what the flow of the game would demand. Um, and we're both kind of thinking about it in those turns, in those terms. Um, so I, you know, we might, I might decide to play against Kim differently than I might against somebody else because she's going to, you know, she's not going to make the same mistakes that these other players I would expect to make, um, like overfolding to see bets on paired boards or monotone boards or things like that, uh, or overfolding to two bets or to check raises and stuff like that. Um, so the hardest part for me is trying to figure out like what level is this player on? Um, and this is a little out of, out of uh, vogue now, but people used to talk about like, just what level are you on? Um, as a poker player and it was like okay they're looking at their own two cards okay they're thinking about what their opponent's range might be 
okay, now they're thinking about what does their opponent think their range looks like. And there's sort of like these back and forth layers of uh, levels of thought. I don't remember, I'm not doing a good job of uh, quoting. I don't, Jonathan Little might've had something to do with it or something like that, but, um, and there's that, yeah, the, the one thing you got to avoid is out-leveling yourself and getting too fancy, a little fancy play syndrome uh, for some, for people that don't, uh, don't require that to play against them. So it, it's a great, it's a good question because it's a hard one to answer. Yeah, John. Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned playing against Kim because it's was specifically losing a number of pots to Kim. I got me thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, Kim, Kim and other experienced savvy players, right. they can see the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. Yep. Right. And that, that's the missing piece for some of the less experienced players. Um, and so the tricks that'll work on, on less experienced players you know, these, these more experienced players just kind of like see right through that and they know what you're doing. And then that it's hard to then feel like, okay, so what's the, what's the next level, right? Like, so how do, how do we counter, how do we counter exploit that? Um, One one thing it's really helped me understand is the importance of bluffing. Oh, talk about Uh, that a little. And that, that, um, Without those bluffs in your range, um, they're always going to be reading you as strength. Mm-hmm. And of always leery of bluffing because you know how much it hurts to, <laughs> you in particular might know how much it hurts to uh, get it in and then turn over a silly hand. And <laughs> yep. Yep. Feel a little bit embarrassed by it. But sure. But I, I, I'm now understanding that that. People have always said, well, you're protecting your range by bluffing. But now I understand more that it is to to help to give out less information. That's the reason why it balances your range is because uh, people can't gather as much information when they believe that one third of the time you could be bluffing. See, John, you should be hosting the show because you just said it so much better than I was getting that back there because that's exactly right. And, you know, some players, they're not thinking about that. And so you don't need to be balanced and you can just play value hands for value and, and play bluff hands uh, in the way that you want to um, or never or not at all. Right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, what you're doing when when you introduce balance, you really should only be doing it because the people that you're playing against are too good to just give them the information by playing your cards face up. And that maybe that's a good way of thinking about it. Cause we do talk about like um, when we make plays based on the strength of our hand, people talk about it. Like we're just turning our cards face up. Uh, that makes us easier to play against because, Oh, well he'd only do that with that kind of hand or, or something like that. Um, a lot of players that we're going to be playing against as recreational players. Uh, they're not going to be that savvy um, when it comes to hand reading or, or ranging, but the players that are, it's really, it's about playing defense. It's about uh, making it less easy for them to tell what kind of holding you have by having it in that, in that balanced way. So it is very player dependent. I know we talk all the time, hashtag bill independent, right? But um, I think that's, it's especially true in spots like this, where you're trying to decide, am I going to play my hand versus their range? Or am I going to play my range versus their range? Mm-hmm. Um 
and the key is always like just to be one level above the level that they're on. Um, so it's hard to do that. Yeah. And so part of it, when you're playing with a bunch of strangers, there's also the question of like, why, why ever be balanced? Um, or if you're only, if you know, you're only going to play 10 hands or something like that, you know, is it something that you really need to worry about? Um, and again, that just comes down to the assumptions of your opponents. But when you start playing with people a lot, and I mean, in the home games here, I've got thousands of hands on several players, right? Cause we've just played in a lot of these home games together over the years. And um, when you're playing with people that you're studying together with, or you've played a lot with, and you know what they're thinking about, then yeah, you got to start playing defense um, or um, maybe that's not even the right way to put it, but uh, balance becomes a lot more important because you're, you're just trying to sort of obfuscate uh, more than anything. You're just trying to make it, harder for them to know what you have and i'm i'm now understanding that you know we always say okay think about what would this player be doing that with um and i've always mostly just thought about what are the value hands that they Mm. would be doing this with Mm -hmm. and never really considered what are the bluffs they would be doing this with Mm -hmm. Um, and now at least i've got a better sense of knowing that they should be bluffing this on this particular board with this particular texture. Um, it, it, it helps me to understand better what they might be bluffing with. Right. And is this the kind of player that's going to be doing that? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I was actually, I was just talking to a coaching student, a uh, coaching client today and what we're working on now is he's done a really good job building up his blue line, which is the showdown hands, the winnings that go to showdown in poker tracker four. So it means he's, he's doing a good job of getting to showdown with hands that beat his opponent. Um, but his winnings without showdown, which is a red line, uh, was just coming down, 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 which is very common. Usually even winning, winning players, they have a winning uh, blue line and a losing uh, red line and their total results just kind of, uh, end up in the middle. But the problem is, as I'm so fond of saying, they're not making any more good hands and they're not dealing them to you any more often than to anybody else. So if everyone's good at getting paid with good, strong hands, all we're going to do is just trade bunny back and forth. Um, the, the way that you're going to be a better winning poker player is by winning when you don't have the best hand. And that's going to involve bluffing. It's going to, it has to, there's no other way. Your opponent has to fold um, if you're going to win without the best hand. So um, that's that other good reason for that bluffing that we're talking about is it's going to give you the chance to win those other hands that you wouldn't win otherwise. But now it seems to me that as you climb higher and higher into this knowledge and strategy, and, and if two people were to play perfect GTO against each other, there would be no advantage um, and that in the end they'd, they'd both come out even assuming that they, you know, had the same amount of turns in position and out of position. And, and, and therefore it becomes a silly game because nobody can win. <laughs> you, you said it, man, like you're, you're, you're bang on the money. If, and, and that's why I hope I never solve poker. And I, I know that's not something I have to worry about, but um, it sounds like the epitome of boredom to have two computers just playing perfectly against each other the whole time. Um, yeah. And, and I think that is what would happen, you know, theoretically is they would just 
neither one would make any mistakes. They'd shuffle chips back and forth. And I mean, you know, the rake would win. The the, the, the casino is going to take their piece. Um, But yeah, that that is, that is what it's about. And, and I think, and that kind of helps us understand, even when we're thinking about this too, the way that you opened this whole episode, John was, you know, so if I make this bet, they're going to know I'm doing that with this. And then if they make the check raise, then I'm going to know they're doing it with that. So we get to the turn and we haven't really learned anything. That's, that's correct. And and we're just going to like, yeah, we haven't learned anything. Um, We've sort of like eliminated the hands from the range that wouldn't have taken those actions, but we're still left with, you know, well, these are the hands they should have now, given that the actions that they've taken. Right. Yeah. Um, and 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 they're thinking they're thinking the same thing about you. Yeah, but I've always thought of it in an offensive way of, of of me not being able to get a read on that, and never turned it around from mm. their point of view and said, "Well, they're also not getting a read on me." Yeah. So again, that's the reason for me to be balancing my game for them again, as you say, against the, the appropriate players, um, for them not yeah. to be able to get any advantage on me. Yep, Rob. Well, I was going to say, you still have learned something by the actions that both of you have taken on the flop, right? I mean, yes, there's still a big wide range out there, but you've narrowed it. Yep. Yes. I mean, if you're in position, and then on the flop, I think we had, it was some um, big, big blind favorable flop, and the um, big blind player checks and you bet you've narrowed your range Mm -hmm. okay no matter what you've still narrowed your range because there's a lot of times where that type of board it may be better for you and with certain hands in your range to check back so the fact you're betting is 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 narrowing your range to those hands that says these are the hands that i should be betting on this board yeah so it's range against range, but there's still a section of that range that is going to be favorable to betting and another section of that range that's going to be favorable to checking. Yeah, what I what I think I thought through was what you learn is either their range is polarized or their range is condensed. Right. And then you can, can work from that, but you can't. If they've got a polarized range, you obviously don't know which end of the spectrum they're at. Um, but yes, you can, based on if they're checking or, or something, you you may um, put them on a condensed range instead. And yes, that will affect your next move, but your next move is still baked into the equation of the fact that they checked. Yeah, and part of it is that you, you feel like you're both reading the same recipe right so it's like you're making the same assumptions about each other's range as it goes so um i think that's yeah rob makes a really good point because you are of course you're 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 learning on every every decision point we're narrowing the range um but it feels like it's not very mysterious because you know if, if two players are playing perfectly then you can kind of tell them what their opening range is and then you can tell that these are the hands they're supposed to bet and then these are the hands that they're supposed to call the check raise with. And so you can just keep, you know, narrowing that range. But even that, even that sort of like 
it does feel like it, it still does feel like mysterious because we can't ultimately what what is giving us trouble here is that our opponents if they're doing it right they're going they're going to be balanced in every step of that and so even if we can say okay they're down to these combos of hands if they're doing it right it should still be a mix of strong hands and weak hands that make it hard for us to continue uh, to make exploits against them. Well, what just occurred occurred to me is the the uh, readouts that you get from the solvers. Yes, they're always um, bet this hand. 48% of the time, check it 22% of the time and, and fold it X percent of the time. And it's just dawning on me now why that is, because if they simply said, okay, bet with these top hands, bluff with these bottom hands, again, that, that really gives your opponent a read on, okay, he's either got this or he's got that. Um, but by, varying the frequencies with which you bet with each hand um i guess it kind of put some of that mystery back into it you said it man exactly and the trade-off is that you get further away from just like maximizing the number of chips you could win with that particular hand in this particular spot you're kind of giving up some of that ev and what you get back is this disguise of you know all the different hands that you could have the different hand ranges that you could have so and that's why i think of it as playing defense because you're kind of you're just you're taking it it's not it's not conservative it's just that you're you're deciding that um against this player they're going to put you in a difficult position if you give them too much information about your hand um so it's another one of those things that it's not required against every player but um but the ones that it is, you want you do want to have that that balance. Rob, did you want to say something? I couldn't tell from your. Uh... No, I think I think you you covered. It. I mean, we we talked about what you said in the beginning is when you first start playing poker, the thing you first see is your two cards, and you play based on the strength of those two cards, with little concern about what anybody else has because you're not thinking about what anybody else has, and then as you get a little more experience you start thinking of what that other person has right and now you got your two cards and now you're thinking about what that other person has but the, then the next step like you said is well now that i know what i have and i think i know what he has what does he think i have <laughs> and then it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth so eventually we got to the point where we have computers that can do gto solves and those computers are saying, okay, if everybody has perfect knowledge of each other's strategies, then this is how you play each hand in each position based on your chip stack. I mean, everything is there. It's all solved. But the thing is, we're not playing with a bunch of GTO bots. Right. We're playing against people. People are going to make generalizations. Um, like John was talking about how if you have a hand that you're supposed to bet you know 40 percent of the time you're supposed to uh, or supposed supposed to bet big 40 percent of the time right all 20 percent of the time and then another you know 40 percent of the time you're supposed to fold well what are you going to do as a human being mm. 
you're going to choose probably either to bet big or to fold. You're going to, you know, you kind of eliminate that 20%. So instead you're going to be betting big 60% of the time and folding 40% of the time. But then now let's go even further. You're going to look at your opponent and say, well, he's not a GTO bot. So I'm just going to bet hundred percent of the time in this spot. And that, that hand becomes part of your hundred percent betting range. And nobody's going to know that that hand is in your hundred percent betting range because they're not GTO bots. So it's still a mystery what everybody has, but you have taken the initiative. If you're, if you have the initiative, you're holding onto that initiative with a lot of hands that should be played multiple different ways, but you are playing it one specific way against the player pool or maybe that specific player that you're you're taking advantage of or trying to exploit. So it's 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 really it comes down to understanding what their reaction is based on your action. Because you're representing a certain range by betting big. Right. And and in the theory of uh, when people talk about GTO theory. Um, it's a it's part of the theory that both players sort of have their range like they know each other's ranges essentially so it, it, when two gto bots are playing against each other it, it it's not hyperbole to say they can say like okay well I, i'm i'm doing it with this range of hands i'm going to open raise here and this is the range of hands i'm doing it with uh, opponent and then the opponent's like oh okay well i'm going to call and this is the range of hands that i'm doing that with um and then the flop comes and the player is like, okay, well, I'm going to make a C bet. And I'm going to do it with this range of hands. And, and so there's this, there is no mystery. There is no mystery as to what is in that range of hands. The only mystery is what is the holding? What is the actual hand that they have this time? Right. So now, now we never do that, of course, in our games. Um, but the principle is that, that it's so balanced that you could tell them every combo of hands that you could have in your range right now, and they would still have a very difficult decision about how to proceed because you're going to do it with that mix of different kinds of hands in a way that makes you unexploitable. But if you're not worried about being exploited, then you don't need to worry about being unexploitable. And so you don't need to have every possible hand with like a 20% mix strategy. I'm going to check raise this small amount, but these ones. So, so we can just focus on, we're going to check raise the hands that are good to check raise. with, um, And we're going to fold the rest. And instead of doing this 60% and this one 60% and this one 40%, we're just going to do this one 100%. And not even worry about those other ones, <laughs> you know, because, uh, because our opponent isn't, savvy enough for us to feel like we need to give up that little edge in order to preserve the kind of mystery um, of the range. Yeah. So that's, that's part of it is like, I think when you're talking about a giant about like the lack of mystery, I, I do think that's what it is. It's because we, as Rob says, we are narrowing ranges on every decision point, but we feel like, all the players involved kind of know what is in that range. Right. Right. And, and that makes us that, that, that's how, that's how that kind of uh, tension, I think it gets, gets felt in there. I mean, the mystery is still there in which end of their range are they at? Right. Um, but the mystery of what their range, what is potentially in their range is, is 
less mysterious if you're at that level of understanding, which I'm not saying I am, but right. No, that's it. And, and if you're making good, and if, and if, you know, your assumptions about them are accurate too. Um, right. Cause uh, yeah, that's the other part of it is that it's obviously hard to get inside someone else's head and, um, yep. and know exactly what their ranges are. But the one thing that's interesting is the more we learn about some of these parts of poker that kind of have been solved, even though they haven't been like actually solved, a, a lot of the rules have been figured out for various spots. Then when you're playing with smart people who know a lot of poker, it is, a, it is not very mysterious. It, honestly, that, 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 that feeling is present where it's just like, oh, well, he's doing it with this and this and this. And so... Well, it's funny. There are certain exploits that you can make against a thinking player mm. you can't make against a non-thinking player. Yep. So, well, for instance, you're in the big blind and the flop comes out, you know, two, four, king. That's a big favorite for the in-position aggressor, right? So you check, they bet, you call, and then the, the, the next card is like a six, and you go, oh, man, this so smashes my range right now. I'm going to donk into him on the turn. And he's a thinking player, so he's going, boy, that really smashed his range. So I'm sure he just hit something there because otherwise he wouldn't be donking out and they fold. And you have absolutely, it doesn't matter what two cards you got. Right. Right? You might have, you know, a couple of over cards that you decided to call just to see if you could catch a, catch a pair on the turn. And instead, you got absolutely nothing, but that card was so good for the big blinds range. You just go out there and, and put a bet out there, dock into them, and they fold. And you go, oh, that worked. Because <laughs> thinking player, they yes. are thinking ranges. Now, if it's a player that's sitting there with ace-king, and they're going to say, well, he didn't get that. That's a horrible card. You know, he's going to go ahead and call you off, and you're not going to try that move against a non-thinking player. Right. So where do you take your exploits is based on the type of player that you're playing against. Right. And I was thinking that same thing earlier before we started recording, we were talking about dog betting and, and it's exactly that. There are some things that are known plays that quote unquote, only unstudied players are supposed to do. So if you're in a position, um, that someone doesn't know what your skill level is, you may be able to hide your skill level by taking that into account and, and betting something where, oh, he's clearly showing me what he has by making this donk bet because you're not supposed to donk bet and he doesn't know what he's doing. So therefore, he must really have the nuts. Um, <laughs> and of course, the best time to do that is when you have nothing. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it. And, um, you know, like Rob is saying, you, uh, you can't, you can't lay a, a very clever trap for someone that's four levels beneath you because yeah. they're, they're not going to see the bait. They're just going to, they're going to be operating on You're the only person you're trapping is yourself. So, uh, so I, I feel like we really got to the heart of it, to be honest with you. That's really what it comes down to. Um, and, you know, what Rob's talking about there, that's another example of playing your range and not playing your hand. Um, so when, you know, the flop comes king, two, four, 
and then the turn comes a six. If it's good for your range and you bluff, that's because your opponent recognizes that that's good for your range. That's what makes it a good spot to bluff. Um, But against some players, you're better off just, just playing the two cards in your hand. And uh, that's, that's, that's the only way. And so, you know, that should impact even the hands that you choose to take to the flop, right? Some, sometimes you're going to choose different hands pre-flop because you're going to get in different positions post-flop against different players. And it's like, do you know, is this going to be a spot where I need a level four trap or am I just going to try and show up with good hands and beat them with good hands? I, I do that a fair amount in that I know if someone to my left, uh, I can recognize the people in the home games now that I believe have an advantage, uh, a more skill post flop than I do. Mm. And if I have a hand that I might normally open and I look to my left and see one of two of those players, um, if it's, you know, at the bottom of what might normally be my opening range, I'm just folding it right away. There you go. That's it. That's poker, man. That's poker. Poker is about the adjustments that we make, you know, uh, like we all come to the table with sort of like this default strategy. These are the hands I like to three bet with. These are the hands I like to call with, you know, this is the size I like to do stuff on. Um, but the real, the real skill in poker is tweaking that and adjusting that to maximally exploit uh, the players at your table that you can exploit. And then really just like giving away as little as possible to the players that are going to, going to take it away from you. Um, it's one of the things that makes poker great. It's a different game every time you play, right? Um, all right. Well, we were going to talk about donk betting, but I think we'd had a really good conversation just about this. Uh, so let's save that conversation for another episode. We could talk about some uh, unconventional betting lines. I, w- I do want to talk about donks and uh, turn leads and uh, pro bets and stuff like that. So maybe we could do a whole, ep- whole episode on that one day soon. Um, any other, anything else we should uh, get into on this subject? I thought we did a, covered, found a few rabbit, rabbit holes, as Rob likes to say. Um all right. Wonderful. Well, John, it means a lot to have our premium members coming into the chat. So uh, thank you very much for bringing this. And, you know, folks like yourself that come and post questions in the forums, it's uh, it's wonderful. It's that learner's mindset. Like, how can we ever get better if we only ever talk about things that we already understand completely? So asking questions and being open to uh, being wrong or to finding out uh, new information is how we get better. So I, I do appreciate that. Thank you, John. And I want to thank Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, um, Website Amp, uh, Rob and John. Oh, we got some great posts in the forum, too. Keith and ARW. Okay, thanks, listeners. We'll talk to you guys soon.